This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. He is Anthony Pusick. I am Don LaGreca. There's a lot to get into. So much. Anthony, you know, where to begin? I, I guess we'll begin At with where we talked on Monday with the Morgan Riley situation. He ended up getting a five-game suspension, which I think is well-deserved. Um, you know, you could sit there and you know equate it to other things that have happened, but it's a non-hockey play. He jumps Greg. It's it's a showing of frustration. It could have been a dangerous play. I would have had no problem if it was ten games, to be honest with you. But five games, I think, makes sense. And you know, I, I don't think the Leafs have anything really to complain about. Although I'm sure they are. Yeah, Ryan Reeves did, and then he got you know not almost knocked out yesterday by a five foot nine guy, uh, saying he has to you have to bring violence back to hockey. Um, look, I, I, it wasn't it wasn't a smart play by Riley. He naturally and deservedly got uh, punished for it. Um, and I think it was the right call. Uh, you, like you said, they don't have a kick coming, and the Maple Leafs were actually very short-handed last night. And I, I stupidly bet the Blues just because, well, you know, you're without two of your top forwards and you're without right. your best defenseman. And they beat the they beat the Blues four to one, and the Blues only had 15 shots on goal. Um, but you know, that's a that's a player that's going to hurt uh, to not have for the Maple Leafs for five games now, four games. Um, you know, the Flyers are starting to play a little bit better. The Ducks game, eh, not so much. Uh, the Blues again, this time in St. Louis. And then the Coyotes, who are spunky, as I've said. Um, and you're missing your best defenseman. So you, you have to see how that affects them. They're obviously in a spot where they're trying to fight and stay in that, uh, stay in the top three in the Atlantic. And right now they are not. They're on the outside looking in, but have three games in hand on Tampa. Yeah. Um, and you know you don't want you don't want to miss a key look. It's like when Trubo was out with the Rangers. You don't want a key defenseman out uh, in a stretch of games where you could really use him. Um, but it wasn't the it was a boneheaded decision by him. Sticking up or not, you could just push him. You don't have to. I, and maybe he didn't want to cross check him, Don. But you know what? That's what happened. And when you make decisions like that, there's a chance that it doesn't go your way. Well, you're like, part of being good. a professional is to be able to control yourself. I understand you're frustrated. It's hockey night in Canada. You're going to lose to an Ottawa team that's clearly inferior to you. It's been a, a crazy stressful season for Toronto, which many people believe that they've underachieved. I, I get being frustrated, but part of being a professional athlete is to be able to control that. You know, let the fans and the yo-yos like us be able to lose our temper and, and turn over a table or punch a wall, but professional athletes are supposed to be able to control themselves. And and if people think that that is what's missing in the Toronto Maple Leafs room, they're misguided. You know, it, it, it's about playing within the rules and, and showing physicality and standing up for one another. That's not what we're talking about, right? Jumping somebody after an empty net goal is not showing toughness is not bringing violence back to hockey. It's just stupid. It was stupid 50 years ago. It was stupid when uh, Dale Hunter did it to Pierre Turgeon. It's stupid now. So wake up. I mean, just get with the program here. And I like Morgan Riley. I really do. I think he's a really good player and a really heady player. But if your frustrations are going to spill over that easily, then there's a lot more wrong with the Toronto Maple Leafs than we think. Yeah, no, I agree. I believe EJ said it on Monday, you know, where was that aggression earlier in the game, right? Right. Like, if you want, you know, and and, and a, a guy doesn't feel comfortable enough to take a slap shot uh, 
at an empty net if he doesn't feel like he could possibly get away with it. Um, and again, I'm not saying that you need to bring goons back or anything like that and the Ryan Reeves of the world who are still in this league. Um, but as you've seen, the way that Reeves has bounced around, not only do you need to be aggressive and tough, you have to bring something mm-hmm. to your game. You need to be a Tom Wilson. Uh, Brad Marchand has eclipsed that role now. He's one of the best players in hockey. But a Brad Marchand type where he's an irritant, but he's also a guy that could put 20 to 30 goals in the back of the net. Uh, for a given team and play on the top six. There's not many guys left on that are literally just out there like Stu Bickle to be out there and just say, I'm going to fight and that's going to be No, it. it's over. Um, so, But but th- that doesn't mean you can't be tough. I mean, look at the Rangers this year who aren't the toughest team, but Will Cooley is leading, the, leading all rookies in hits by a wide margin and has one of the most hits in the league. Uh, Jacob Truba is a very strong Ryan Lindgren, very strong defensive hitting defenseman. Um, you could have players like that that are also contributors to your team. Um, I'd say good on Morgan Riley for trying to stick up for what he believed was a, I don't know, like, uh, you know, I'm not going to go as far as like what baseball people saying, oh, it's disrespecting the game, but they, they were, it was a disrespectful play to the Maple Leafs themselves. But they should have enough guys on that team where they should be able to stick up for each other well before an empty net goal goes in on a bad Senators yeah. team. Um, so that's just that's that's something you got to look inward on if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't think that you know their toughness is going to keep them from going far. I think they just need to play better brand of hockey than they have been. Uh, be a little bit more consistent. They have way too many guys offensively uh, yeah. to not be considered yeah. one of the three best in that division, um, especially with how the Lightning are kind of hot and cold this year and not the team that made it to all those cups and won those cups so uh, it'll be interesting to see how they play down the stretch here and if that kind of sparks them um the, the big story last night Connor mcdavid six assists as the oilers double up the red wings eight to four now this has a lot of ramifications first of all edmonton had lost a couple of games in a row but they get back on the horse but this was also a game that devil and islander fans are paying attention to because detroit's got that last playoff spot and they don't have a pedigree of being a playoff team recently so It'll be interesting to see if they're going to be able to handle these last few games or last few weeks of the season here. And that was a bad loss in Edmonton. Connor McDavid's really, really good. I mean, have no goals, six assists. First time in his career he's ever had six assists in a game. It's that's pretty, pretty special stuff. But you know, the Devils were able to take advantage of it because they won back to back nights. Give the Devils credit. It's tough. I've I've taken that trip. You know, Nashville looks pretty close, and it's not that far of a flight and all that, but that's a tough back end of a back-to-back. You know, home against Seattle, and then have to play at Nashville the next day, and to be able to get the four points in both of those games, taking care of business, coming from behind to beat Nashville, Hughes scores again, and how about this? Dawes plays in both games back-to-back. You never see that, so is he now becoming the number one goaltender here? Very interesting that that decision was made by Lindy Ruff, but a real good job by the Devils, who now you know find themselves right back into the thick of things again, as they've got 58 points, taking advantage of Detroit's loss, so they sit just two points back of Detroit with the same amount of games played, and then the Islanders couldn't take advantage of it. They did get a point, you know, but losing at home to a Seattle team that had played the night before, that's a bad loss in the shootout, but they did gain a point, as I mentioned, so they're three back. But just a very interesting night for those four teams. Edmonton getting back on the horse. Detroit, bad loss. Islanders and Devils getting a little bit closer. Well, it's pretty. I feel pretty fortunate, Don. Um, in every sport, 
that I of the four majors, I've been pretty fortunate where I get to see some of the best players to ever walk the earth. Uh, right. I, I think Shohei Otani is is getting up there in baseball. Uh, LeBron James can be considered the best by some in the NBA. Um, and you talk about the NFL, Tom Brady, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. We're looking at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who could be the most dynamic offensive player ever. Uh, and I'm fortunate enough now that I get to see Connor McDavid, who is the closest thing to Wayne Gretzky that we've had since Crosby slash since Wayne Gretzky. Um, there's been a lot of guys saying they're going to be that next guy. Crosby held that title for a pretty long time, and he was very, very good. Um and as good as he is, I think McDavid's arguably better. I mean, the fifth assist on the spinorama, uh, right to the right of the net, getting it into the front of the net for Hyman, I believe it was, was unbelievable. Um, he just does things on the ice that other guys can't do or just aren't good enough to do. And it's pretty impressive. And as amazing as he is, and he got to 600 assists in 600 and somewhat games, Wayne Gretzky did it in 150 games less. Like, it's just, it's unbelievable just the the numbers that Gretzky was able to put up. And you take a look at how amazing McDavid is, and you say, wow, Gretzky did it faster. Gretzky has more. Like, Gretzky did it in half the time. It's unbelievable. And it just speaks to not only how good he is, but how great Wayne was. Um that's pretty awesome, and uh, I think one thing that you said that was wrong, Don, uh, Lindy Ruff did not make the decision to start Dawes. It was uh, Jack Hughes. If you heard what he said to Erica Wachter after the game, the first game that they won back in uh, in Jersey, he said, well, it's nice when uh, when our goalie makes some saves, or something to that effect. <laughs> okay. And I mean, he, you know, he's kidding on the square, as we like to say on the K-Show. Um, he made it very clear that the goaltending has not been great, um, and he has not been afraid to be vocal on this team about the issues. So I'm not saying that that really you know factored into it, but if you're Lindy Ruff, you got to ride the hot hand. This is not a team that could say, uh, like maybe say the the Rangers or the Islanders, where it's like, well, we feel pretty good about both our goalies, so we could put either of them out there, and we'll feel pretty good about uh, getting a good performance. So that is not that is not the case. Um, if Nico Dawes is playing well, he's got to play because this team needs points. They need. Uh, they need wins, and with Jack Hughes back, and you've said it, Don, back-to-back games with a goal, it's amazing just what he can do as a player and how good he is, um, what he could do for that team. Taking a look at the standings right now, they are two points out. As you said, um, with the Devils, with the uh, Red Wings' loss last night, uh, that's helpful. They both have the same amount of games played now, yeah. and the Devils are only two points back. And again, we talked about it, Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes. And as good as he is, they're going to need better goaltending. And now, can Dawes run this for about a week and get them on a run? Sure. But very interesting, Don. Did you see the report that Jacob Markstrom, there was a deal in place Yeah. to the Devils, and then it fell through? That's interesting to me because that's the guy, after seeing how he did against the Rangers, uh, even though they lost, that is a guy that would make the Devils, yeah. I think, significantly better. Uh, probably I would put them ahead of the Red Wings, and depending on how long Carter Hart is out, I know the Flyers have won four straight. I might even arguably say they'd be better than Philadelphia down the stretch. Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting. Like you said, he waived his no-trade clause. He wanted to go to New Jersey. Now it fell apart, obviously because Calgary is probably asking for too much. Um, will that change as we get closer to the deadline? You know, did it fall apart because Calgary got hot? We don't know the time frame in which this was all discussed. Because when the when the Rangers beat the Flames back on Monday, Flames are riding a four game winning streak and we're only three points out of a playoff spot. And you take a look at what's happening to the Kings, they get crushed in Buffalo seven nothing. Explain that one to me. <laughs> I mean, Kings have played very well on the road. Buffalo's been so Jekyll and Hyde to put up a touchdown, shut them out. So I mean, what's happening with the Kings right now? I mean, they got enough. a little bit of a spurt with the new coaching with the coaching change. But how do you lose by to seven to Buffalo? It's not good, Don. I don't. It's the same thing, kind of, that I said about the Flames. Um, um, 
the the bad loss that they had about a week or a week or so ago before the before the All Star break. Uh, it's a team that I can't trust, and I, at the moment the Kings were unbelievable. I mean, the one thing that we worried about was that home record, right? Don nine nine and six now, but we're like, hey, you know what? They're really good on the road, but you know what? That that does tend to come back to bite you if you because eventually your really good road record is gonna take some hits because as good as you can be, the teams at home have a better chance to win more often than not because you're in front of your home fans, you have that juice, yeah. but. A, a seven to one loss oh. is egregious Sometimes to a to a bad. And all due respect to RJ Santello, bad, bad, bad Sabres team. No, it, it, it's terrible. I mean, right now, you know, the Kings are the first wild card, fifty eight points. But you know, Nashville's only two points back. However, you know, the Kings have three games in hand. They have three games in hand. The Flames, so they're in pretty good shape that way. Plus seventeen goal differential, all that. But you know, if they're starting to fade and the coaching change doesn't end up working at the end of the day, I'm just wondering did that deal fall through because the Flames all of a sudden now believe that they might be able to find a way to sneak into the playoffs. Obviously, we'll reevaluate that in a couple of weeks when we get to the deadline. Maybe that's something that can get revisited. I just quickly did the math while you were. Speaking, Anthony, getting back to Connor McDavid, I think we could all agree that Artemi Panarin's a pretty special player, right? I mean, he's a oh, great absolutely. player. 643 games played for Artemi Panarin, 729 points. Connor McDavid, 616 games played, 927 it's points. Un- it's or, unbelievable. It, 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 you know, for it, that, that, that's pretty, pretty special. He almost was at 27 more games for Panarin, but yet he's almost uh, 198 exactly points behind Connor McDavid. I mean, that that is just pretty amazing that uh, this is this is a guy that sometime early next season is going to have a thousand points and there's some really good players in the history of this sport that never had a thousand points in their career Landon mcdonald didn't have a thousand points in his career like, think about it, he's in a hall of fame at 500 goals didn't have a thousand points and, and this guy is so young and still so skilled i mean we could be talking about a guy that at the end of the day could end up having two thousand points in this league that's just how incredible it is what Connor mcdavid's been able to do pretty special stuff just have to appreciate don you have to appreciate what you're seeing while you're while you're watching it not not often do we get the pleasure of knowing exactly what we're getting from a player while they're still with us playing i should say and what you're seeing from Connor mcdavid is so special and just so uh, there's I, I don't even know I don't even know the right words for it just how great he is and on any given night he does such amazing things and quite frankly the, the NHL is in such a good spot because obviously all sports are pretty star driven right Don and yeah. you take a look at Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon, Austin Matthews. Uh, you mentioned Artemi Panarin, uh, David Pasternak. Like this is this is an influx of talent in this top ten or top fifteen forwards, and even some of the defensemen. Kale McCarr is fantastic. Um, you you just you, you're spoiled as a hockey fan to see so much talent all at once here um, that we just have to appreciate it. And the fact that McDavid is just at another level than all of these guys, when any of them on any given day could be the best player in mm-hmm. in the sport, is pretty pretty special. Now before we get to you at, at Don Lagreca and at Anthony Pusic, hashtag game is conduct. Just a few other things from last night: Avalanche after their player only meeting get back on track, double up the Capitals. Alexander Ovechkin scores in his fifth consecutive game, so he stays hot. Now 14 goals on the season. Big win for the Lightning in Boston against the Bruins, 3-2. Tampa certainly needed that one. All right, never mind the Canadiens-Ducks. That's a game that you're probably not going to pay that much attention to, the Travis Moen Bowl, if you will. But 
pretty interesting when the team gets hold of 13 shots on goal. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it wasn't Boston that did it. I mean, for the Montreal Canadiens to hold the, the Anaheim to 13 shots on goal, boy, you know what, Pat Verbeek, start making deals now. I mean, because because at this point, it, your, your team has almost given up. When you, when you only have 13 shots in a game uh, at the Bell Center, that, that's a problem. Yeah, just a frustrating one. Um there's no, I, I just, I don't know what to say about the Ducks team. I mean, I, I think, I think it was this year. It's been so long now, Don, where they kind of got off to a decent start, and you're like, hey, you know what? For Toronto, oh yeah, that no, no, was this and, year. Yeah, that was this year. I mean, no, th- listen, the Zegris has been out. I mean, they've had injuries. I, I'm the Zegris kills them. Same way that Tage Thompson kills yeah. Buffalo. Where if you sure. miss one of your key guys on a team like that, you're like, you know what? Maybe this just isn't our year. Not that it was going to be their year anyway. But yeah, look, it's a seller's market, and if the Flames are still contemplating whether or not they. Want Want to be in that market? Uh, the the Ducks have a bu- a couple of pieces where you could say, yeah, I'm I'm interested in moving some stuff around here, um, and you know you take a look at a guy like Vetrano, um, maybe one of their defensemen. Um, they could they could get some pieces pieces that they need because while they do have a young core of forwards, obviously this team is a ways away from competing. Um, and this year it's just not going to get done. And a, a team as we saw over the weekend in 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 Montreal that got absolutely destroyed by the Blues. Another team that's kind of middling, if we're being honest. Um, yeah, there, there's there's not a whole lot of hope to hold on to here. you, you got to start you got to start thinking about moving some pieces. All right, let's hear from you at Don LaGreca, at Anthony Pusick, hashtag game misconduct. Uh, Sal, random question. It's clear Igor has benefited from the extra work with Alaire. Why is it that goalie coaches are not present on the bench to coach goalies during TV timeouts or between periods the way baseball and football teams have coached coaches for nearly every position? It's a different animal. You know, first of all, how many guys are you going to have on the bench? It's pretty crowded there to begin with. So you're going to have your, you know, your defensive guys, your offensive guy, your head coach, trainers are all there. It's too crowded. And I don't know how much coaching you can really do in game or between periods. Now, could Alaire go down? He usually is sitting next to up uh, us in the um, in the uh, bridge level at Madison Square Garden. He leaves between periods, so he can go and talk to the goaltenders between periods. So I, I really don't think it's necessary, Anthony, to um, for him to be on the bench. And plus, I think he would look from from the press box. I think would have a better view of what's happening with the goaltender. Uh, than he would on the bench, so I don't think it's necessary to have them down there. Yeah, look, a lot of que- a lot of credit, I should say, not Bugs Bunny credit, goes to to Benoit Lair in general for what he's done for the Rangers um, in their goaltending position over the last decade plus. Um, but yeah, I, look, I, I, it's probably like you said, Don, kind of a bench thing. Maybe Benoit Lair prefers to be up there, and also, like you said, he can go down there, talk to him during the intermissions. It's not like I don't think like a pitching coach. Where if you see something wrong immediately, you could call because they only have one timeout, right? I know there's TV timeouts, but what are you going to say? Like, hey, you know, keep your glove side, keep your glove higher, you know, for the rest of the period. It's something that you can get to, you know, after the period or whenever. And and when a goalie's really struggling, they just pull him and go to the other one anyway. And, and also, it is kind of strange. I guess the only thing you can equate it to, Anthony, would be like a place kicker in football, or even like a pitcher in baseball, where it's kind of separate from the rest of the team from a, from a coaching standpoint. 
Benoit Allaire is a he never speaks to the media in the most sweetest and kindest way. He he's just he he's he's just he's introverted. He he's not somebody that's out there. He doesn't like step on people's toes. All he does is his job dealing with the goaltender. And I think he would be awkward down at the bench because it's Peter Laviolette's team or whoever the coach at the time is. One of the reasons why he has survived how many different coaching changes is because it's kind of a separate relationship. And I don't think he'd want to even talk to the goaltender unless Peter told him, can you talk to the goaltender? So I I just think it's a completely different animal. So I don't really think there's anything in game other than maybe between periods where he'd probably go down there anyway to discuss because he'd probably feel like he was just in the way. Because I think it's a long, it's a, it's a wide-angle lens look at the goaltender. Like, I don't think it's ever like, try this the next time you face a shot. I just think that when he works with him, it's all-encompassing, you know. And it's it, it just doesn't work, I think, in the moment the way it would work, like in practice and during morning skates and all that. But he is such a nice guy. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to meet him, Anthony, when you were covering the Rangers for FDU. But he's just a really special person. He's, he's no, I never guy. have, but he's, he really seems good. like an awesome dude. Uh, David Hines says, since the Winter Classic is going to Chicago yet again, and they've already done Soldier Field for the Stadium Series game, why not go to the White Sox field just for a different venue? Granted, it's not historic as Wrigley, because but why name. not go for the unused venue? You they said deserve nothing. The White Sox field. Like, what is it even called now? Guaranteed right. rate. Yeah, so nobody cares. Now, if they had gotten, if they still had Comiskey Park from back in the day, then maybe there'd be a little historic value. I, I think these winter classics make the venue part of the event. And where the White Sox play is just not special. It's just not. I'd rather it be 100 times at Wrigley Field or Soldier Field than ever even consider going to whatever they're going to call it. Story. I don't know if you know the story, but Reinsdorf, um, back when... The White Sox were tearing down Comiskey Park, and they were going to have a new building. The architect for Camden Yards offered the stadium to the White Sox, and really, he's, and he and that's a beautiful park. By and the way. he's like, "Why would I want a retro old? I want something new. I want something modern." Okay, you went new and modern, and nobody cares where you play. And Camden Yards is a gorgeous uh, facility, one of the best in baseball. So there you go. Bad job, Reinsdorf. Anyway. Bobby says, thoughts on Dawes playing both halves of the back-to-backs for New Jersey. Do you think more teams should consider it? Uh, the front half goes well, or is it all down to workload? 28 shots faced for Dawes on Monday night, plus flight to Nashville. Last three games, the team has looked great. I, I, I Honestly, Anthony, I don't really like it. Uh, he makes a good mm-hmm. point again, sure. you know, going to Nashville, but because of the situation that you explained with what Hughes said and, and Vanacek has not been great, you know, ride the hot hand. But usually I think it's probably a bad idea to have the same goaltender play in such a, a short proximity. Um, yeah, unless this is, it's, unless there was like nothing happened in the game. This is simply, in my opinion, and I, I don't know this to be fact. I'm just speculating. This is simply riding the hot hand. Devils need wins. Goalie played well. They do not have a situation where they can rely on their goaltender game in and game out. They won. It's they they saw a winnable game in the Predators and said, you know what? If we play well in front of in front of him, we have a pretty good chance of winning. And they mm-hmm. had to come back and do it, but they won. Um, you know, does that mean he's going to get the next start? I, I don't know. Uh, but. Uh, you know, I I don't think the Devils are in a position where they could say, yeah, well, usually you don't give back to backs to one goalie, so we'll we'll wait and we'll give we'll we'll let him rest. I, I don't think they're in a position to do that right now. All right, Robert Thee asked the questions that every fan has asked at one time or another. 
Why is it so hard for the linesmen to just drop the damn puck? Is there a reason for them to goat centers into getting thrown out of the faceoff circle? It is frustrating, but you want a clean drop. You understand, maybe not the opening faceoff or you know a faceoff in a seven nothing game like last night in Buffalo, but faceoffs are important, Anthony, and you want to make sure it's clean. And, yeah, sometimes they're moving, not just the guys that are taking the face off, but anybody else on the ice moves. And also, you got to be careful because if you have a full start of the same team twice, then it's a delay game penalty. So right. it is frustrating, but there is an art to it, and I'd rather see it done properly than improperly, and especially in a key spot. Yeah, look, I could see it getting frustrating. There was one game I was at, I think it was Rangers Kraken last year or the year before, where it just seemed like the the official could never get the puck down, and everybody was booing. You know how that is, Don. You hear it on TV, and you see it when you're there. But it just seemed like, every, and it wasn't just like one or two times. It was every face-off. Like nobody on either side, Kraken or Ranger, could figure out what the cadence was, or whatever you want to call it. And that could be frustrating, I'm sure. But I don't think anybody's doing it maliciously. I don't think that they're doing it on purpose. They are on ice. This is not a set place where you could just stay in one spot and drop. You know, any little movement could could throw anybody off. Um, it's frustrating. There's no better way to do it. There's no robot that's going to come out there and drop the puck for you. Um, I, I don't see that much of a problem with it. Some refs and officials are better at it than others. It's just something that we have to deal with as fans. Uh, Michael wants to know, what will be the repercussions if Pittsburgh uh, misses the playoffs? I, I don't I, I don't, don't know. I mean, listen, I think Mike Sullivan is a tremendous coach, and it would be a huge mistake to let him go. Uh, but that, I mean, that's the easy answer, right? I mean, you're not – you just got a brand-new general manager there. Now, is it possible that they will let Sullivan go because this current regime didn't hire Sullivan? But I think it would be a huge mistake. It's not a coaching problem. It's a talent problem. You've got guys that are just getting older now. I think it's kind of run its course. We've talked about this times and time again, Anthony. The mistake of re, uh, re-upping with Malkin, re-upping with Latang, trying to squeeze another championship out of Crosby. It really is almost Eli Manning-esque when you think about it, although Crosby is playing at an elite level. But you're making decisions to try to get another cup for Sydney, and I think the team is getting older and the players, especially in the Met- the teams in the Metropolitan Division, are getting better and stronger. This is not a cup team. And it's a team that just reeks of a rebuild. Washington senses it, and they're doing it. Why can't Pittsburgh do it? Why? Because they've already locked into these contracts. Some of them were done with the previous regime. So they've got to ride it out. But if you're going to fire Mike Sullivan or, or make some kind of you know wacky trade to, to make – I just think it's all just eyewash – as Michael Kay would say. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, Don, because just take a look at where we're at here. And like you said, you know, what's the alternative? The alternative is blow it up. Well, blowing up is going to take some time to get everything back with how much money they have locked into so many different players, how old the team is, this, that, and the other. And it's going to take a while for them to build back up. So if you've made this commitment to we're going to stick with Crosby, we're going to stick with Malkin, we're bringing in Carlson, we have Latang. Got to see where this goes. And where's it going? Well, not going not going very good right now. Uh, and the older that this team gets, the worse it's going to be. But to, to, to pull the string now and abort and, and maybe fire Sullivan, I don't know if a coach is going to change how old these guys are and how much treads on their tires. Uh, I think they got to stick it out and see what happens. I'm not saying they're going to be buyers at the deadline here. This is clearly not a team that's going to make it far in the playoffs if they make the playoffs at all, but you're right, Don. Uh, the Capitals seem to be perfectly fine, especially with all the injuries and, and, and issues that they have at center with Backstrom not playing, Kuznetsov on leave. 
to say, you know what, we, we're going to kind of tear this down a little bit, but we're still going to have Ovechkin. Um, are the Penguins willing to do that with Sidney Crosby and say, we'll get rid of Malkin, we'll find a home for him, maybe we move on from Latang, and, and but Crosby's still going to be here. He'll be that forever Penguin, and his last couple years are going to ride out into, into obscurity because of how bad this team is. I don't know if they have an appetite for that. Well, that's why we had the conversation about would would there ever be a meeting of the minds, kind of like what happened with Matthew Stafford in Detroit in the NFL, where Crosby says, maybe it's time for me to move on because I want to win another cup. It doesn't look like it's going to be happening here. Obviously, you can't rebuild while I'm here because you're trying to take advantage of still having me with years left. As painful as that would be for the fans in Pittsburgh and probably Crosby himself, does that make the most sense where Sidney can go to a, a, a team that's got a chance to compete for a Stanley Cup, you know, like like what happened with Gretzky in Edmonton going to L.A. or, or you know, what we saw countless times with Bork leaving, leaving um, to go to Colorado from Boston. I mean, will we have something like that? Or will he feel like, oh, no, I want to see this through in Pittsburgh and be a forever Penguin like Mario was, but I, I just don't know how it benefits Sidney and I don't know how it benefits the Penguins to just be in this really tough spot. You're never going to be bad enough to get a really good pick and get into the draft lottery. Nope. And you're never going to be good enough to guarantee yourself a playoff spot or actually legitimate compete for the Stanley Cup. You just got to think about this this run that the Penguins are on as how great it was earlier in the in the tenure of Malkin, Latang, and Crosby. Um, sometimes, look, and we saw it with, with the Yankees, we see it in all sports. Sometimes these things kind of fizzle out. And when they fizzle out, it's usually not pretty. Uh, but if they had to do it all over again, I'd say that that they would do it. But the Penguins have the are in the unenviable position of being the Giants with Eli Manning, saying, "Oh, we got to keep it going for Crosby. We got to keep it going for Eli. Let's let's piecemeal this together. Let's make some contract decisions that we probably wouldn't make if we were just looking in a vacuum at where this team is. And is it going to hurt them the way it hurt the Giants? And are they not going to win a title or be close to winning a title for a very long period of time? Mm-hmm. That remains to be seen. Um, but you know what? I think for Crosby, I think they're going to do their best and they're going to try to stay as competitive as possible. It may end up backfiring. We may look at this five years from now when we're still doing this podcast yeah. and say, boy, that was not the right decision. But there is value for for a team to just always still be competitive. They're seven points out of a playoff spot, but they have um, a load. Right, right now, they've got um, three games in hand on Detroit, seven points back. They're tied with Edmonton for the least amount of games played. They haven't even played 50 games yet. They played 49. So... I, I, but again, I don't think it's going to happen this year. But at some time, because nobody, you're not going to get anything for Carlson. You're not going to get anything for Malkin. You're not going to get anything for Latang because of their contracts and because of their age. Sidney Crosby is a different story. Um, I, but they're going to both want to have to be on the same page for something like that to happen. Don, I just sent you something. You did. Did you see what Barry Trot said on 102.5 The Game yesterday? Let's see. He's what talking he to Tom Fitzgerald about goaltending. Who said UC Soros? You did. Who said it? Listen, that's going to take a lot. Wow. But if Markstrom's off the table and the Predators are going to consider moving on from UC Soros, boy, that would I would put the Devils in, in the top three in the Metro in a heartbeat. Wow. That, that is... would be the exact person that they need. Because we're not talking about a, a, a minor fix at goaltending. We're talking about a franchise goaltender, whether it be Markstrom or Soros. And the fact that they're even talking, the fact that Trotz is even listening. Now, Trotz did say, listen, to, to Tom Fitzgerald, you're the one that needs the goalie, not me. So I'm sure that there would be a premium that they would have to pay in order to make that happen. I wonder what that premium would be. Now, but the fact that that's even out there and Trotz is willing to talk about it 
Maybe he's also trying to get some feelers out for other teams that say, "Hey, you need goaltending. We can make a we can make a market here for UC Soros." That is going to really. First of all, UC Soros very very manageable contract. Yes, he's got another year left at just five million dollars. So you get him the rest of this year, and you would get him all of next year. Um, Nashville would be making this move because they're going to probably try to rebuild because they've got tons of cap space. But I don't really know how aggressive it would work there in free agency for this team. They're, they're right there in a playoff spot, too, so they would be making a bit of a sacrifice. Our brilliance is not appreciated, Don, let's be honest. Listen, but that, that, I, I just didn't think it was possible just because of the fact that you know they're so close to a playoff spot. And I still think that matters in a, in a non-hockey market like Nashville to try to see it through, but I think they probably look at it, the landscape of the Western Conference, and say, all right, we can make the playoffs, but uh, are we going to be able to beat Vancouver in a best-of-seven series? Are, are, are we going to be able to make any kind of a run when you look at how good some of those teams are uh, in the Western Conference? Now, with the Devils, they've got no cap space. They've got no. a, a little under $2 million, but the projected cap space is under 400000 So they would probably have to... Well, obviously, they'd, they'd have to give up some sort of a big ticket. Now... Because Nashville's got like $7 million in cap space and they, they would also be trading away the $5 million on Soros, they can add cap space. Well, so- look, they, if they trade Vanacek, let's say, and this is now, this is this is a situation where the Predators need a goalie because they're trading a goalie, and you got $3.4 million next year on the cap for him. Okay. And then you, but but obviously they're going to want something better than that. That's not going to get it done for them. They're going to need some You're, prospects, maybe even some starting players on this on this Devil team. I don't necessarily need, know who that would be. Well, the Devils. I mean, obviously, if you're Nashville, you're just the, the, looking at their history. They've always needed offense, right? So they need somebody to complement uh, Philip Forsberg, who's there. But you're going to rebuild. You're going to try to do it. With uh, you know, getting an off. Uh, would they move? Would would they move Holtz, Don? I think they like him a lot. But would they move Holtz? Well, that's what you're going to be asking for, right? That's what I think. Be, that's what the Predators be, would be you're, asking for. You're going to be asking for you know Brat, who you know it's not nothing. He's he's got a no movement clause, so I don't know. Um, I don't think Brat. I don't think. I, I, well, look. No, no movement clause for Brat kicks in next year, so they can trade him this year. But it's almost an eight million dollar. Uh, cap hit. Maybe Timo Meyer. I don't know. And he's also, um, you know, you're talking about eight point eight. He's got a no movement clause that also kicks in uh, for next year. Maybe Hataka, the defenseman that they've been using when Smith but, was out, he seemed to play pretty well. But is Holtz that somebody? Is a, a very inexpensive player, good young player. He's only twenty two years old. He doesn't hit restricted free agency until after next year. Yep. So, so all right. So Vanacek. Holtz, and it's got to be something else. You'd have to give away one of their... Now, look, I, I'm not as big on the devil prospects as as others would be, so somebody would be able to help us out with that. Harvey yeah, Cruz, I, I probably. I, 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 but yeah. I, I would think it would have to be uh, either pr- picks or a top prospect that goes along with it. Because, again, like Trot said, I'm the one that has the goalie. You need the goalie. Well, if I'm the devils, right, and I'm, I've got a ton of young talent, ton of young defensive talent, I'm getting UC Soros, who's under contract beyond next year, who is, I think you could say, an elite goaltender in this league. What do? I, why am I going to hold on to a first-round pick? No, I, I wouldn't. If I feel like I'm a win-now team, and I've got tons of young talent, 
Now, I don't know how attractive the pick would be because you're talking about a pick that would be you know deep into the 20s maybe, depending on where the Devils end up finishing. Obviously, they're going to think they're going to go on some sort of a run, so it could be like the 25th overall pick. But I would have no problem. Now, I don't know if it's going to be enough. Vanacek to just give them a goaltender. Holtz, 22-year-old, very affordable contract. And a first-round pick? There's going to probably have to be more there. A couple prospects, maybe. Yeah, again, I don't, I don't know that you know, go that deep into the prospects. Um, but well, the that, Predators are a team that needs those young guys, right, Don? Like this is a team that, while they're competitive at the moment, or you know, they're not, they're not at the, they're not, you know, middling at the bottom of the of the standings. This is not a team that at the present moment looks like they're going to be competing for a Stanley Cup anytime soon. So if they're going to move on from Soros, this is a very big, this would be a very big reset for them. They're going to need picks. They're going to need prospects. They're going to say, you know what? Are they going to build around Forsberg oh, and Yossi, or is it going to be a complete teardown? Like, there's so this, many questions. Listen, it's not a Herschel Walker type of deal, or you know, an Eric Lindros type of deal. But if you're trading UC Soros, you're you are try, you're going to get something that now you can really sink your teeth into. Uh, not necessarily a rebuild, but a reset. Um, and yeah, it's gonna it's. And like now, I said, if, if if now that he is he has put this out into the air, trots that he's at least talked to Tom Fitzgerald about goaltending. There are plenty, as we know, plenty of teams that need goalies. Uh, can anybody else put out a better package for UC Soros? I, don't know. I mean, Carolina. Carolina would be ooh. with Anderson. Wow, that would again. UC Soros makes Toronto. any team that needs a goalie that much better. I mean, there's so much. I mean, a lot of these teams can't afford it. Cap wise, um, oh, this is going to be fun, Don. This is going to be a fun. No, month. listen, that is a huge, huge piece being dangled out there because I'd rather have him than Markstrom. Markstrom's terrific, but I mean, I really like Soros a lot. Now, would you go as far as two first round picks? I think I would, yes. Because now you really spiced it up. Holtz, Vanacek, and two first-round picks. Because if we're talking about the Devils not caring about the first-round pick here, then you look at next year. I know that draft capital is so vitally important, but again, you're getting an elite goaltender on a team that desperately needs a goaltender. You wouldn't give up anybody on the current roster that you would say would cost you a chance. I like Holtz a lot, but it's not like, oh, they they have no chance to win. They just gave up uh, him. It's not like you're giving up a guy that's been a major contributor to this this team possibly going for a Stanley Cup and you've got so much young talent I and mean, you've had the benefit of having two first overall picks on your team very Edmonton-esque when you've got Heashier and Hughes and you know so as much as you'd miss those two first round picks Anthony you're hoping that you're going to be good and they're going to be low first round picks and you got you're so young and so much yeah. The, the, God, I would if, do if it. This is now, was that piece. enough to get it done? But I would do that. If this is the missing piece, and you believe it is, um, you have to try. You have to go for it. Because, again, if Dougie Hamilton is healthy and he's not, this team's defense, I think, is, is solid enough. I know they're not playing like it right now. And they have more than enough offensive firepower in their in their forward lines to be able to compete. They're just missing the goaltender. Saw it against the Rangers, even though they beat them. Then you saw it against Carolina. They need a goalie. And this is not a like stopgap fix. This is a goalie that's going to be good for you while you're in this window to possibly win a cup with this young team. And yes, you're going to have to pay a premium after he's after his contract's over. But you know what? You'd still argue, you'd at least have an argument that you can compete with the two teams in your own in your own area in the Rangers and Islanders with the goalie that you have because Sorokin and Chesterkin, two of the best in the league. Mm-hmm. Soros is right up there. Let's close it out with a bit of trivia because I don't know if you saw this. Tweet. Okay, Connor McDavid is the fifth player with six assists in a game in the last thirty years. Okay, 
Can you name the other four? Probably not. But let's now, give it one, a shot. Now you'll you'll kick yourself because it just happened. Last year, remember Chris Letang had the six assists. Oh yeah, yeah, Chris Letang. And then in 2021, oh no, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm uh, there's another penguin on there. Yes, Mario Lemieux. Mario Lemieux okay. did it in 1995. I feel pretty good about that. Uh, Crosby ever do it? Sidney Crosby never did. Okay. Hmm. You said 2021. Say again. You said 2021, and then you paused. So there's got to be. Well, I was going to. Uh, I was going to say that um, three of them happened in the last three years. McDavid wow. last night, uh, Latang in 2023, and then it was done in 2021. And then you've got to go back to 1997. So between 97 and 2021, no one had done it. What about Hurdle? This player what about Tomas Hurdle? No, that's a, okay. that's a good one. Well, I that, just know he had he had some of the, especially against the Rangers. He had some of those random games where he just was unbelievable. Um, hmm, nineteen ninety seven also. Whew. Big name. In Big 97. name in ninety seven. Lindros. There you go, Eric Lindros. Hey, 1997. how about that? And I'll just round it out. Leon Dreisaitl did it. Oh, that, you know, I so. should have, I should have at least gave that. How crazy is that? Two of the five you know, are, are are current Edmonton Oilers offensive juggernauts. No maybe, they, maybe we're seeing that the offense is certainly up because it's happened five times in the last 30 years and it's happened three times in the last three. So um, pretty interesting stuff there. So, all right, Friday, we hope to have a podcast again. We didn't have one last Friday, so that means we really can sink our teeth into our top five right. for the week. We will do that. And if you want to get in touch with us, at Don LaGreca, hashtag uh, game misconduct. It's your typical Wednesday in the National Hockey League. So only three games. Best one, Panthers and Penguins. It's a big game for Pittsburgh. And the Panthers, too, kind of trying to get back on track. Jets have to beat the San Jose Sharks. You can't lose to the Sharks at home when you're trying to compete for first place. And for the diehards and for Anthony Pusick, who's in love with this team, the Wild at the Arizona Coyotes. That's right. <laughs> that's that's the, the the 9.30 game. So we'll be back with you again on Friday. This was the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.